Well, how are we doing, church? Thank you so much for taking time to connect with us online today. I want to say good morning to everybody in our Crescent campus. Also, if you're back watching at St. Greg's, um, good morning to you as well. If you've got a Bible, um, grab it, open it, turn it on, um, whichever way you use it, um, whichever version that you use, or follow along on screen. Our scriptures will be up there. Malachi chapter 2, uh, that's where we're going to start. We're going to jump around to a few different places, but Malachi 2 will be the first scripture that we look at. Uh, We're in week number six of our series called Overcomers. Um, We're going to go three more weeks. This is a long time for us to take a series. Um, Three more weeks, and then we're going to get into our next series. Um, Our next series is going to, whether you can believe this or not, our next series is actually going to carry us into the Christmas series season, season series, right? The Christmas time. But can can you believe that? Like it's going to be Christmas soon. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. Um, Next week, We're going to talk about overcoming complacency, Um, and then the last two weeks in this series, we're going to talk about overcoming addiction. Um, And and listen, addiction is all kinds of different things, and so don't get in your mind. It's just going to be about drugs and alcohol. Um, We can be addicted to tons of different stuff, and so um, we're going to talk about um, how to overcome that, and then we're going to talk about how we can be people that walk alongside people um, who are going through that and who are struggling with things, and so I think those are going to be... Um, two incredible messages um, here at Central. Let me set today up like this. Uh, Before I became a parent, a lot of you can resonate with this, um, I had this goal of everything that I was going to be. And how I established that of how I was, of what I was not going to be, is I watched my parents and I watched other parents. And so you know how it is. Before you're a parent, you know everything about parenting. And then about six months into it, you realize how absolutely clueless you are and you're always operating on the fly. But I said, there are things I'm going to do and things I'm not going to do. And I'm not going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm not going to do this and I'll never, ever, ever do that. And one of the things, one of the things I said I was never going to do is I said, I'm never going to say stupid things to my kid. Now, if, if you're a parent, you've done it. Right, but but when Chloe was born, I said I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say stupid things to Chloe because I don't want her to think that I'm the biggest moron in the world. Now, 18 years into this thing, I realize I have completely failed. I'm the biggest moron in both of their lives. I, I really am. But I will never forget the first time this happened to me. We were in the living room one night, and I did it. I did the thing that I said I would never do. We were watching TV. And Chloe is kind of inching towards the remote controls and all the stuff for the TV. Now, I had found out um, a couple of weeks before that a one-year-old, if you give them 10 seconds with a remote, can disable the entire thing. And you've got to call the professionals back out because you're like, oh, I don't even know. I don't know how to fix this thing. And so Chloe is, is doing that. She's kind of moving towards that stuff. And I'm like, Chloe! No, 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 come back over here, baby, come back over here. And she turns, and she looks at me, and she smiles, and and she takes another step, which which I didn't teach her how to do that, right? Those of you who are watching right now who are like, well, babies have to learn how to sin. No, 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 no. No, they figure it all out on their own because we're born sinners, every one of us. And so she takes another step, and and I, I look at my beautiful little girl, and I said I would never say this, ever, but I went, Chloe! Do you want to spec? And, and I said it, right? I'm like, Mary, what did I just do? Like, and Chloe's crying because I'm yelling. I'm like, I can't believe I just asked my little girl, Chloe, do you want a spanking? Every single one of us has done that. And let's admit it, it's stupid. 
because your kid has never turned around and looked at you and went, yes, mother, yes, father, please, just wear me out, right? right? I said I would never say it, but I did it. <laughs> where are you going with this, Ryan? Here, here's where I'm going with this. The same thing that's true about parenting is the same thing that's true about marriage. I've been in ministry for 20 plus years now, and, and I've been, I've never had a couple come in and sit down for any type of premarital counseling and say, you know what, Ryan, this is our goal. Listen, pastor, within five years, I want to blow my marriage completely apart. I want to fail. Not only do I want to fail, I want to fail miserably. I've never had a couple when I ask them, what are your goals for marriage? And by the way, um, if, if you're watching right now and you're engaged and you can't answer that question, what are your goals for marriage? Please, please, please figure it out or don't get married, right? Don't get married until you understand your goals. Just, just don't, don't do it. But, but when I've asked people, what are your goals for marriage, I've never had a couple look back at me and go, divorce. Excuse me? Divorce. That's what I want. No, like, no, nobody says that. But we all know, unfortunately, divorce happens. It's happened all around us. In fact, it's happened to many of us watching right now. And here's the thing. Divorce isn't one of those things that you just wake up one day and go, huh, I think I want a divorce. It sneaks up on you. In fact, I read this a while back. The first step is you think of it. You, you, you think about it. And then you see it. Once you begin to, to think about it, you, you, begin to, you begin to really envision it in your mind. And then you say it. It comes out. You say it to your spouse. It comes out in a conversation or it comes out in an argument. Maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we should have never gotten married. I want a divorce. And then you do it. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. God wants more for our marriages than for us to enter a marriage for three, five, sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 years and have it end badly. God does not want marriage to end badly for any one of us, no matter where we're sitting, no matter where we're watching from right now. Because divorce, divorce brings hurt and heartache, brings pain and misery, it brings loneliness, it brings stress, it brings anxiety, it brings depression. If you've ever gone through divorce, you don't feel celebration, you feel condemnation, you feel judged, you feel ashamed. All of those feelings seem to be associated with divorce, yes or no? Now, in the church world, and the reason we're kind of stepping into this and talking about this is because in the church world for years, divorced people have been considered second-class citizens and treated as such. In fact, when I first got into the church world, if you were divorced, you couldn't, church, you couldn't serve on a church staff. If you were divorced, you couldn't be an elder, couldn't be a deacon, couldn't, couldn't be a pastor. Now, some churches came up with creative names to call you, but they, they wouldn't give you these biblical titles. In fact, in a lot of churches, you couldn't hold any type of significant leadership position at all because divorce seemed to disqualify us from immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. But I want you to know, I've served with some of the godliest men and women in churches that have been divorced. Uh, I, I have. And you know what? Somebody forgot, to call, or somebody forgot to tell God that he couldn't call them into ministry because he did. He, he did. I've, I've got pastor friends that have been divorced that are leading very, 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 very successful churches, very successful ministries. Now, I get it. I understand. 
Right here, some of you will push back, and you'll say, well, the Bible says that you must be the husband of one wife. Actually, the translation in the Greek right there is one woman man. It means you can't commit polygamy, all right? So glad we all understand that now. Because listen, listen, here's the thing. I I just need to address this before we really get into Malachi. Something I really find interesting the word of God, in, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is like a sword. Do you know what a sword does? A sword slices, right? That, that's what a sword does, it slices. Now, if you're anything like me, you've sat in a church service or you've listened to a message and it seemed like the word of God just sliced right through you. Like, oh, I really needed to hear that. Or like, ugh. I wish I wouldn't have heard that, but now that I did hear it, I got to go do something about that, right? That, that's, the, that's the slicing of the word of God. But unfortunately, what the church has done in so many instances is we've taken the sword, and instead of using it to slice, we turn it more sideways, and we use it as a bat, and we just bring it over our head, and we just beat people to death with it. And divorce people, we are probably the most beaten and battered group of people in the church world. And it's because people take certain passages of Scripture out of context, and they don't take to mind the totality of Scripture and the character of God. And one of the passages, one of the clobber passages, and I'll just mention, if if you've ever been divorced, you've heard this. Malachi 2.16 says this, For I hate divorce! Notice the exclamation point there. They're pretty ticked off about it. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, said the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. If you've been divorced, there is no doubt in my mind that you've been hit with that verse. And you've been hit with it not for the purpose of encouragement, not for the purpose of building you up, not with the purpose of helping you, but for the purpose of tearing you down and bringing guilt and shame and condemnation into your life. This is what I find interesting. When people talk about things God hates, because that's that's what they're going to throw out there. They're going to say, hey, God hates divorce. Well, you know what? There's some other things that the Bible says God hates we don't talk about. So so when God mentions divorce, right, when people are, are clubbing someone with this verse, there's a passage in Proverbs that people seem to overlook, mostly because it applies to them. Have you ever noticed that we're always obsessed with the sins that we don't seem to be wrestling with? You ever, you ever notice that? Anybody? Anyone? Probably another message for another time. But, but look at this. Proverbs 6, verse 16 starts out like this. There are six things, six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That's what the Bible says that God hates. Let's talk about these for a second. Let's kind of roll through this. So I got them each and every one. Number one, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. You know what that is? Haughty eyes would be like somebody who has never been divorced. And, and, And listen, if that's you, I thank God for you. I mean, praise God that you have never had to walk through that hell. That is absolutely awesome. But haughty eyes, it would be like somebody that's never been divorced, looking at somebody who has been divorced, thinking, I'm better than you because I haven't done what you've done. It it would be somebody that's never struggled with addiction, 
looking at somebody who has struggled with addiction, saying, I'm better than you because I'm not going through what you're going through. It's using our life as a lens of self-righteousness to look through to judge other people. Haughty eyes. And God said, I hate that. Listen, listen, listen. Only, only in the church in America can somebody who is obese look at somebody that has addiction and say, man, you got a problem. Probably should move on. Number two, a lying tongue. A lying tongue. Anybody ever lied? Anybody? If you have ever been to the DMV and they ask you your weight, right? There's not a person watching this right now. There's not a person sitting in Creston that weighs what you say you weigh on your driver's license. God hates that. He does. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Now, let's kind of talk about this for a second in the context of divorce. Anytime divorce takes place, the most innocent people involved in the whole thing are who? The kids, right? The kids. And one of the things that I strongly encourage is you can't make the kids suffer. Now, we will all say, like, but they are suffering. Yeah, they are suffering, but here's the deal. When one parent or both parents choose to talk negatively about their ex-spouse in front of the kids, that's making the innocent suffer. Because listen to me, at the end of the day, it's going to take both the mom and the dad to raise the kid, period. And a kid should never, ever, ever, ever be weaponized against their biological mom or dad. Ever, ever, ever. Stop it. Knock it off. Let's keep going. Number four is a heart that devises wicked schemes. This is a person that sits around and thinks about ways to get even with other people. We've never done that, right? Never, ever, 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 ever. None of us, ever, never. None of us guilty of that. Let's move on quick. Hurry. Number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Now, we'll talk about this later on, but listen, divorce should never be the first option when conflict breaks out. Like, divorce shouldn't be a word that just easily flies off of our lips. It's one of those things that once you say it, it's hard to pick back up off the table. So feet that are quick to rush into evil, the Bible says God hates that. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. A false witness pours out lies. We kind of addressed that earlier, but, you know, think about this. Everybody in Washington, D.C. is hated by God, right? They're all up the creek without the paddle, so to speak, like Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. Number seven, a person who stirs up conflict. Like a person who just stirs it up. And, and for many people, <laughs> you're not going to like this, but for many people, we simply just need to look at our Facebook feed on our own computers. Person who stirs up conflict, right? Just kind of leave that out there for a minute. Now, here, here's the point I'm trying to make with this. Divorced or not divorced, all of us, when you look at that list, you need to understand all of us are in the same place and all of us need the same amount of grace. 
period. Doesn't matter if we're single, doesn't matter if we're divorced, doesn't matter if we're married, doesn't matter if we're remarried. Nobody has the right to stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross and talk about how awesome we are. We are saved by the grace of God. It's not about how good we are, it's about how good he is, period. So, with all of that in mind, I've got three questions. As I sat down and I put this message together, I realized there's no way that I could exhaust the totality of this subject in one week, in, in one message. We could do an entire series on this. We're not going to, um, but we could. But I wanted to address three questions that I think are essential for us. And, and listen, let me just say this. This is for our church. All right, so if you're watching this online after Sunday and you're saying, well, I don't agree with this. It, if this isn't your church, you don't have to listen, all right? I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, this is the stand that I'm going to take, that we as a church body and our leadership team, th- this is the stance that, that we take, okay? Number one, does God hate divorce? Does God hate divorce? Now, that's a great question. Now, to answer that, we've got to talk about this word hate for a second, right? There, there are very few things on the planet that I actually hate because hate is a strong word, yes or no? Yeah, listen, 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 listen. I don't, I don't hate cats. I, 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 don't, I don't know where that rumor got started. Like, I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't hate them. Like, if I came to your house today, and you had a cat, and your cat came up to me, like, like I would pat the cat, cat on the head. Um, when you left the room, I wouldn't throw it into, like, oncoming traffic or put it in your oven when you're not looking. Or, like, like, I, don't, like I, I, don't, I don't think they're the greatest animals in the world, but you do. And, and, and that's fine, right? But, but I don't hate them. Um, I'll tell you this. I don't, like... I don't hate the Iowa Hawkeyes. I, I don't. At the end, they're 18 to 22-year-old kids playing college football. They're on scholarship. They're trying to do something great. They're trying to win as a team. I, I don't hate them as individuals. Now, I hope that the team never wins another game in the history of the world. That would make me happy. But I don't, I don't hate them. You know what I do hate? Well, know what I really hate? Some of you get this, and some of you are just going to take my word. I hate anything or anyone who hurts my kids. If, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. It doesn't matter. Like, you can go from zero to ticked off in less than five seconds if somebody messes with your kid. I've seen moms go from gentle to mama bear in 2.7 seconds. Ah! Like, I... I've I've seen that happen. And if you don't have a kid, then the thing that you hate is anybody or anything that hurts the person closest to you, right? And and so with that in mind, let's come back to the question of, does God hate divorce? Well, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says, I hate divorce, says the Lord to God. Of Israel. So the answer is yes, God hates divorce. But let's kind of look into that a little bit, all right? Like, why? Why does he hate it? Well, let's play pretend for a minute. Let's imagine for a second that in my neighborhood, 
there's a house that has a mean dog. The dog's crazy. Like it's big, it's ferocious, maybe a little rabid, I, I don't know, cr- crazy dog, all right? But it's okay because they've got a fence around their backyard that the dog can't get out of. Like you can hear the dog back there, and he's going nuts, he's barking, he's freaking out, and every time you walk by, he knows he wants to kill you. But, but it's okay. He can't get out. He can't attack anybody. The fence is saving him. So let's say Chloe, let's say my daughter and I, let's say we're walking by the house and we're talking about the dog. We're talking about how big and dangerous the dog is. And let's just say she asked me, well, can the dog bite? Yeah, the dog can bite, but the dog's behind the fence. So don't, don't worry about it. So there's all this conversation about the dangers of the dog. You following me? And I'll say, one day, I'm in the house, and Chloe comes running in, and she's crying, and she's bleeding because she has gotten bitten by the dog. Now, just real quick question. As her father, do I hate her for getting bit by the dog or do I hate the dog for biting her I hate the the dog right and, and listen 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 don't miss this that's not time for me to go oh well listen little girl you know if you would have followed the rules you wouldn't have gotten bitten by the dog the bible says in first daddy 4 2 thou shalt not mess with the dog that's not a time for a lecture when she's hurt it's time to find the best way to get her help and healing not a lecture right And so I'm not mad at her, I'm mad at the dog for biting her. What does this have to do with anything, Ryan? Well, the reason God hates divorce is because divorce is the dog that bites. In other words, I'll say it like this. God does hate divorce, yes, but God does not hate you. God does hate divorce, but God does not hate you. God hates divorce. You know why? Let's put our cards on the table. For those of us that have been divorced that are watching right now, it sucks. It's painful. It's lonely. Even if you went through it, listen to me, even if you went through it and you had justification for it, it's not something you want your kids to go through one day, right? So, so listen, God doesn't hate you. God, God does not hate you. No matter what you've been told, no matter what's been preached down to you, God does not hate you. He hates what hurts you because he's a good, good father who wants great things for his children. Which leads to the second question, should divorce be my first option? Should divorce be my first option? I was talking to a guy a while back. Um, I, I, I know him pretty well. He doesn't come to church here. Um, but I ran into him one day, and, um, and we were talking about some stuff. And he said, I don't know how we got on this topic, but he said, I told my wife, if she doesn't straighten her butt out, I'm leaving her. I'm like, what? Yeah. It's like, well, how long have you been married? 25 years. Have you, like, maybe, sort of, kind of, considered counseling? You know, we got a cool counselor at Central. I mean, she's awesome. She'd love to meet with you. No. I told her everything she needed to do to straighten out, and she won't do it. <laughs> now, that's the problem, right? If people would just do and say exactly what we wanted them to do and say, the world would be an awesome place, right? I, I didn't say that, but I, but I, but I thought that. Um, I was like, well, you know, have you tried therapy? Have you tried counseling? You probably should get into some counseling. I can get you hooked up and blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, here, here's the point. If you're in your marriage... And your marriage is struggling. Get some help and focus on your spouse. Because divorce 
should never, ever be the first option. By the way, let me just point this out. Your marriage isn't struggling because you're a bad person. Your marriage is struggling because you're two human beings. There's always going to be conflict between two humans. It doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're human. But I'm telling you, if there's any way to avoid divorce, if there's any way, if there's any way, if there's any way, if there's any way, avoid it. Now, I get it. I understand. Sometimes there's not a way. For example, if a woman is in an abusive relationship, being physically beaten by a man and he won't stop, like I've literally told women, like been in counseling situations where I have said, you need to get out right now. There's no excuse for that. Get out, leave his butt, don't come back. No good father wants his daughter to be beaten, period. So, so I'm saying, I understand, sometimes it's the only way from getting severely hurt, like, like even physically. But I don't think it should be the first option. If there's a way, listen to me, I'm saying, if there's a way, do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes to make the marriage work. Now, what does it take to make marriage work? Well, from what I've observed in couples that have made it in the long term, I'm talking 20, 30, 40 years. Now, I've been married almost 22 years, so I finally fall into this category. If you're going to make marriage work, it takes three things. Forgiveness, ownership, and time. Forgiveness, ownership, and time. It takes two people willing to forgive one another. Like literally forgive. Forgive means you don't bring it up again ever. Well, you know, you did that one thing seven years ago. And you, and stop, 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 stop. Forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness. It takes forgiveness takes ownership. Ownership is even if it's 95% your spouse's problem, you own your 5% and you let them and God deal with the 95%. That means you don't try to fix them. Did, did you hear that? I'll say that again. That means you do not try to fix them. You take responsibility for you, you work on you, and you do your best to follow Jesus. You own your part in it. And finally, it takes time. Don't you wish you could just say the magic prayer and the marriage is okay? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. I wish I could tell you that it does. I wish I could tell you I knew the magic prayer. If by chance you do know the magic prayer, please let all of us know. It takes time. It takes time. I, I know none of us want to hear that, but that's the truth. But the couples I know that have succeeded in making it work long term, forgiveness, ownership, and time. See, there's a myth that exists in marriage that there's always a, a good guy and there's always a bad guy. There's a myth that one person's godly and the other person's ungodly. There, there's a myth that two godly people that love Jesus will always be able to make it work out. I wish that were true. But that's not always the case. There's this relationship that I want to show you in the Bible. Now, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and put this out there um, and let you know 100% this is not a marriage, all right? What I'm about to share with you, this is not a marriage um, in the Bible. It's a friendship between two guys, two major characters in the New Testament, Paul and Barnabas, all right? Both godly people. They both love Jesus. And you would think that two godly people that love Jesus would always come to the same conclusion, right? But in this text, we see it's not always the case. Luke tells us this in Acts Chapter 15, verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them and Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so, look at this, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. At the end of the day, two people, both loved Jesus, and it didn't work. This is my reason for saying this. If you've never been through a divorce, or you know somebody that has been through a divorce, my hope and my prayer for this message for you is that you would look through the lens of compassion rather than condemnation. That if you haven't had to walk through it, if you haven't had to go through it, if you haven't been there, that you would look at people through the lens of compassion and not condemnation. And you say, well, I know the whole story. No, you don't. You don't. You, you really don't. There's his side, her side, and the truth. Stop taking sides. Start taking a stand that includes empathy and compassion. That's what's going to help them heal. That's it. Which leads to the third question. The third question, and the question I get asked the most often, is, is there life beyond divorce? Is there life beyond divorce? Now, I, I get why people ask this question, because two of the biggest words associated with divorce are failure and defeat. And, and I want to say this, and I want to address this, um, because in order for us to overcome, we need to understand this. Just because your marriage failed does not mean that you are a failure. What defeated you does not have to define you. And I would say that about anyone who is sitting in Crescent, sitting in St. Greg's, no matter where you're watching at online. What defeated you does not get to define you for the rest of your life. What you did is not who you are. The reason I know this is because of a story about Jesus in the Bible. Um, John, in John's Gospel, John chapter 4, John tells us that, that Jesus is on his way. He's from on point A to point B. And, and the Bible is very clear. It says he had to go through Samaria. Now, geographically, that wasn't true. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I don't have time to get into all of this today, um, but, but even the normal routes that they took, like they, like they went out of the way. So, so there has to be a spiritual meaning to it. Jesus is on his way there, right? Why is Jesus on his way? Samaritans were despised by Jews. And men didn't talk to women because during that time period, women um, weren't really viewed as equal. They were, they were viewed as, as, as property. And so they get there, and Jesus strikes up this conversation with a Samaritan woman and begins to take a spiritual turn. And, and look what Jesus says to her. Watch this. This is John chapter 4. We're going to pick it up, verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, this woman has been divorced how many times? How many? Five. Five times. In fact, so many times she told the next guy, listen, dog, we're just going to move in together. I've tried this marriage thing. 
like it, it didn't work out. We'll move in together, save some money on the bills, kind of share rent, whatever. But marriage, marriage ain't in my cards. It ain't going to happen. In my mind, that, that's, that's a conversation how it happened, right? She's been divorced five times now. Now, this, this is kind of a little side note, and this is something um, I saw this week as I was studying this, and, and I looked, and a few Bible scholars um, talk about this. I thought it was cool. I haven't studied this all the way out, but I really found it super interesting. In her life, there have been five men. She's with the sixth. Jesus is number seven. In the Bible, seven is the number of completion. So Jesus wasn't stepping in her life to condemn her, but to complete her, because that's who he is. That's what he does. We, we, we looked at a few weeks ago, remember John three seventeen that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world? And let me make you a promise. If he didn't send his son Jesus to condemn the world, then he didn't send self-righteous Christians to do it either. Another message for another time. But Jesus is, is addressing this situation. You've been divorced five times. Like, hey, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you, you're not married. And, she, and she's like, you spoke the truth. And then it continues, and I love it. Look at this. Jump down to verse 25. The woman said to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. She tells Jesus about Jesus. Isn't that funny? That'd be like me standing in the foyer after service and someone coming up to me and going, hey, man, Ryan will be here in a minute. Yes, he will. Security! Right? That would be weird, wouldn't it? Somebody telling me about that. Like, so, so she's telling Jesus about Jesus. Because the last person, let me tell you, don't miss this. The last person this lady expected to see was the Messiah. Because if anybody, there was anybody who was broken down and felt damaged and felt discouraged and felt disqualified, it was this lady. But isn't it funny that this is the, this is, this is the very person that Jesus revealed himself to? The Bible says this, when he comes, this is the lady talking, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Don't miss this, because I think this is huge. The first person, the first person in the Gospel of John that Jesus reveals himself to is this woman. She's the first person, not a Bible scholar, not a person who has followed all the rules, but a person who has been divorced five times and was so broken down and so discouraged and Jesus steps into her life and says, hey, I got what you need. All I'm trying to, to do at this point, well, the point I'm trying to make is this. Just because you're divorced doesn't mean you're damaged. Just because you're divorced does not mean that you're damaged. I know there are people that have said that to you or I know that you've been in situations that have made you feel that way, um, I, I, I understand way better than I wish I understood. I, I do. But just because you're divorced doesn't mean that you're damaged. God still loves you. God still has a plan for you. And you are still capable of experiencing immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. I got a, I got a text um, from a pastor friend this week because he knew the subject I was going to be speaking on. and He knew it was going to be hard for people to hear. And, um, and, and I want to I read this text to you because when it comes to overcoming divorce, th this, is, this is huge. 
if you've been through a divorce, I think this will mean something to you. He said, you may, gone, you may have gone through a divorce, but divorce is not your name. You may have gone through a divorce, but divorce is not your name. Your marriage may have ended, but failure is not your name. You may have not felt loved, but unlovable is not your name. You're a child of God, completely loved, forgiven, and free. That's true for you, whether it's divorce or whatever it's whatever you're going through. You're a child of God, completely loved, forgiven, and free. Listen to me. We have a God who loves us unconditionally. In this series, um, we've been talking about overcoming. And this is something that if you're going through it, yes, it absolutely sucks. But as you lean into Jesus, I promise you, as you lean into Jesus, he will help you overcome. If you're a person who has felt judgment, condemnation, shame, even, even from churches or church people, they don't get to define you. Jesus defines you, period. I've had people ask me, Ryan, I've been divorced, I made a mistake, or, or we made a mistake, something, something bad happened in my past. What can God use me for? Anything. Anything, anything, anything he has called you to do, his calling is still on you. Surrender to him and allow him to help you overcome. Let's pray.